0: Hi, you're listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, where we bring you the rich life histories of the incredible men and women enshrined in the Blues Hall of Fame. Innovators, pioneers, entrepreneurs, geniuses. These are the individuals who not only shaped blues music, but paved the path for all forms of American music that followed. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is brought to you by the Blues Foundation. For more information about the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org. We continue the series with Ray Charles. Ray Charles had a nickname. Some say it was given to him by Frank Sinatra himself. However, he got it, it stuck. And people started calling him the genius. Pretty appropriate, don't you think? Ray Charles... Blind since the age of seven, and an orphan by the time he turned 14, did blues, jazz, and gospel as well as anyone ever had. And by stylistically doing them all together at once, he pioneered what we soon came to recognize as soul music. That's right, Ray Charles is the father of that whole genre. Furthermore, he took these forms of Black American music, mingled them just enough with contemporary pop sounds, and had massive crossover success. Ray Charles was one of the very first African-American artists to be granted full creative control of his career by a major record label. This is his story.
1: The song wasn't that difficult. The singer was darn near impossible. Guitar Slim showed up drunk to the recording session and only got worse. He spoiled songs in every known manner, plus his own new creative ways. He would drift right out of rhythm, right out of tune, right into the wrong verse. They were recording live, so every blown take cost money and cost them to start everything over. Then... Slim really got into the song, but seemed to think he was playing a live gig and walked right out of the studio on his long guitar chord. The front door slammed behind him. The fellows in the band looked to the guy producing the session, but got nothing from him either. Not only was the producer a young man, he also played piano and led the band, and not only was he inexperienced and overburdened, the man was blind. Great. The star walks out of the session and the producer is sitting there behind his sunglasses. Does he even know what just happened? Then they heard him growl. And stay gone. A big tooth grin flickered across the face of Ray Charles. 26 takes, he said. Well, I think we got the intro down. Slim slunk back in. Ray's heart went out to Slim. He could feel Slim's suffering. But now... Slim had spread that suffering around the recording studio and made up Ray's mind to give the bum one last chance. Take 27, he said, and not a penny more. The
0: thing that I used to do
1: Lord, I want you. Slim gouged into the song on the verge of breaking his last string or blowing out his amp. The band went with him. The musicians held their breath, restless on the edge of their seats, waiting for Slim to fall apart. Slim broke tempo, but stayed close enough to sound raw rather than wrong. The band looked to Ray. He shook his head and didn't skip a note. Slim slipped a chord, but the band kept going. Ray felt his stomach tighten, his heart pounded. The breaths came short and shallow. He could hear Slim's calluses scraping on the strings. He could hear the horn men inhaling raspy through their noses. He could hear every bad note separately clearly on its own. It hurt. But Slim had nearly dragged himself through three minutes, not perfectly in time or in tune, but as close as he was going to get. They nearly reached the end of the endless song, just another moment. And then Ray's relief and excitement burst out of him a little prematurely. Cosmo, the little guy engineering the session, laughed. Okay, one more time without the shout. Everyone chuckled, stood up, and stretched like the end of a long bus ride. They closed up their cases and headed in separate directions. With his sunglasses on, Ray exited the hot little studio into the New Orleans night. Though barely 21... Ray had been around. He left his home in Florida and got as far away as possible to Seattle, Washington. He'd zigzagged across the chitlin circuit leading Lowell Fulson's band through the Southwest. He learned how money felt. Not in some poetic coming-of-age way. If Ray couldn't tell a $1 bill from a 20 these people out on the road would rob him blinder. Independence was a matter of life and death. Ray had to take care of himself. Fortunately, his ears made up for his eyes. Of everywhere he'd been, Ray enjoyed listening his way around New Orleans best of all. He had two miles to go from the recording studio to the Dewdrop Inn. His path led straight down Rampart Street through what the neighborhood locals called Back of Town. Virtually all the city's colorful legends known all over the world began as secrets back of town. French quarter sounds trailed away from Ray. Drunken clarinet and woozy trombone. Ghosts played in Ray's mind past the corner of Basin Street. Ferd Morton sang, I thought I heard Butter and say nasty, dirty, take it away. Ray smelled chop suey, peanuts roasted, bay rum. He knew intersections by the sound of traffic in front of him. A junk dealer called to him. Say man. Say man and the crave itched deep inside. He felt the coldness of the dealer's soul. The dealer saw something in Ray and knew. Ray kept staring. At last, he heard the Dewdrop Jukebox record playing. Patsy Vidalia screeching. She was a he. Patsy, who talked like a woman pretending to be Ricky Ricardo from I Love Lucy, she meant Ray was home. Ray pushed in the front door and took a seat at the bar. A man named Frank Panier ran the dewdrop. He looked after the musicians who performed on the dewdrop stage and lived in the rooms on the second floor. He even tolerated Patsy. Frank poured Ray a glass of scotch over ice and asked how Slim did. Terrible, Ray answered. He sipped the top off his scotch. Biggest damn hit of the year. Success bother you, Frank asked. Ray said, Slim took five hours to finish three minutes work I can read Beethoven with my fingertips. I can sense the pain that man was in when he composed Moonlight Sonata. Just as surely as Ray walked without a cane from the French Quarter to the Dewdrop, he had no plans to lean on guitar slim any longer. He was right about the song, though. The things that I used to do made it to number one and stayed on top for three months. That song made Ray's dilemma crystal clear. His own records hadn't reached the heights of guitar slim. Ray hadn't yet discovered how to communicate his unique vision of sound. He said, I love Nat Cole so much. What he's doing is so close to how I feel, it can't help but rub off on me a little.
0: I want to tell you a story
1: a boy was in love Ray lay in his room at the dewdrop. His brain arranged ornate compositions for imaginary orchestras. But more primal music hit him through the wall. He heard loving sounds from a couple next door. Ray chuckled. (laughs) Grunts and groans from the bedroom rocked back and forth like call and response in church. He felt it. The joy. If he could bottle that in song, he'd be a millionaire. Ray got up and went to work on the piano down in the Dewdrop Lounge. He thought about the blind walk back of town. He brought that hunger from the street to his vocals and married it to the joy of the bedroom. Ray pulled the yearning and thrills through every syllable. Well, I got a woman way over town That's good to me That song launched him on the road for 300 nights a year. No Lowell Fulson, no guitar Slim, no Nat Cole imitations. Just the genius running his fingers over Ben Franklin's face. One of those nights found him near Pittsburgh. He had a sharp band behind him. He had new backup singers, a female trio he named the Raylettes. He also had a problem. The man holding the briefcase full of money said that they had another 10 minutes to go on the contract. Ray was out of material. Silence settled over the stage. He felt the Rayland's eyes on him. He stood and counted his footsteps over to the Wurlitzer organ. They looked at each other as Ray struck up a song like a lightning bolt. He shook during the first note. Then he began to rock back and forth in his herky-jerky fashion. The drummer caught on fast, the dancers did too, they packed the floor. That big grin broke over Ray's face as he thought about his old room at the Dewdrop. He grunted and the Raylets groaned back. When they were through, Ray's fans mobbed him to ask where they could buy the record. He said, uh, it don't exist yet.
0: Thanks for listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is produced by Bill Street Caravan for the Blues Foundation, written by Preston Lauterbach and voiced by Guy Davis. For more information on the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org.